Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. While you're turning to Matthew chapter 9, I've always been up front with you. I've just, I try to be, I just try to tell you what God tells me. Let me tell you what I believe God is doing, okay? The Lord has dealt with me. Now, you can't preach like I preached every week last Sunday. We could, I guess, but that's not how it works. I, I listen to the Lord, okay? My job is to be the messenger. And the Lord Jesus has dealt with me so strongly that the next three weeks, God willing, I'm going to preach on forgiveness. Forgiveness. I'm going to preach things I've never preached before. The Lord has given me already all three sermons in advance, things I have never preached before. But the Lord has told me, now y'all just be, just hang tight, but there are some of you in this church, you need this, these messages. You don't know how bad you need. Some of you need it if you want to go to heaven. Some of you need it if you want that revival, that awakening. You need it. And the Lord has dealt with me to say, if I will preach these three sermons on forgiveness, I'm, I'm going to talk about the forgiveness of God today. Lord willing, I'm going to preach on for, for forgiving others. Okay? But you're going to hear things you've never heard before. I'm telling you. And the third Sunday, I'm gonna, I will preach on forgiving yourself. Some of you will never get an awakening until you move past your past. You're barely living for Jesus because you cannot get past what you used to be before God saved you. But when I get through preaching and then the Lord gets through with you, some of you are going to be so liberated that you're going to be able to move into what God has caused. I'm telling you, there is going to be a I'm telling you, I know that I know that there's going to be liberty and an awakening and a revival that's going to happen in this church. Preaching on forgiveness in the next three weeks. So I'm just pumped up. I've had more people say, Pastor, you've been on my mind and I've had dreams about you and I'm praying for you. I ask you to pray for me because I believe the devil knows. I preached about the devil a little bit last week. The devil knows what God is doing. The devil knows how the Lord's dealing with me and the devil would like to stop me. But Lord willing, he's not going to stop me. And I'm going to preach and revivals and he is going to lose. And we're going to win. So today I want to talk about a forgiving God. Matthew chapter 9. I love this story. Beginning at verse 1. So Jesus got into a boat and crossed over and came to his own city. That's Capernaum. And then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. Notice they said man. <laughs> How many of y'all know he was more than a man? This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And that man arose, got up, and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men. You can be seated. Thank you for reverence the word. Jesus is in the city of Capernaum. 
He is in a house ministering to a large group of people. The house is filled to capacity. They are standing outside. They are, they are looking through the windows. It is a massive crowd. Along comes four men carrying a stretcher with a paralytic, a man who's paralyzed. He cannot move. They want to bring him to Jesus so that he can be healed. They get to the outskirts of the crowd, and one of them said, Would you let us through? We want to get this man to Jesus. But the selfish crowd said, No, you have to stay in the back of the line, wait your turn. And they boxed them out. Nobody along the edge would allow them to get through. And so one of them said, I've got an idea. Israel and Israel, the houses have flat roofs and they have steps that go up the side wall of one of the houses. And so they carried the man up on the roof, the flat roof of that house, and started tearing off the roof tiles. Can you imagine the scene in the house below? Dirt and residue is falling as they're tearing open a hole. People are murmuring and yelling. Jesus is teaching is now interrupted. He stops and the hole gets bigger and sunlight's coming through. I can only imagine what the owner of the house is doing. He's fussing and freaking out. What are you doing? They just keep ripping off tiles. They, they, They make a hole large enough and with ropes, they lower the man right in front of Jesus. What determination. I want to tell you today, if you want something from God, sometimes you got to get determined. Now, if you come into the Lord wishy-washy and half serious, pray a prayer, nothing happens, and then you want to walk away saying, well, God didn't do it for me. Let's don't blame it on God. Ask and keep on asking, and you shall receive. Seek and keep on seeking and you shall find. Knock and keep on knocking, the Bible says, and the door will be open unto you. These men were determined. They lowered him to Jesus. Now, obviously, it's very obvious, this man had a real physical need, paralysis. He needed a touch from Jesus. He longed for a healing touch from the Lord. I believe he wanted to walk again, like any of us would. But this man also, and it's evident in the story, had a real spiritual need. All right, let me just paint the picture because sometimes we read the Bible and we look through our church-colored lenses. This man was not a church member. He was not a Christian. He was not a follower of the Lord. In the immortal words of a Jerry Seinfeld episode, he was a very bad man. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Very bad man, Jerry Seinfeld. He was a very bad man. He was a bad person. He said wrong things. He he probably used profanity. He talked about people, mistreated people, lied, stole. He was not a good person. Okay? The term we're used to is he was a sinner, a sinful man. Not right with God. Okay? But there are two things that are evident to me in this story. Even though he was a bad person living a, a very bad life, disobeying God, not really... Something had happened in this man, and I think it's when he got in the presence of Jesus. When you get it, when you see Jesus, that's why preachers need to quit preaching everything else. They need to preach Jesus. 
If you can just get people to see God, people have the wrong image of God. They have the wrong image of Jesus. If we can just get the right image of Jesus, then you see him for who he is and what he can do. And he sees the Lord, and he has a desire that he did not have before, and it was a desire to be saved, we would say. It was a desire to no longer be a very bad man. He wanted a change in his life. He was weary of his life of sin. He was, he was tired of being paralyzed spiritually, if you will, where he couldn't move to God. So he wanted something to happen. He wanted to be righteous. He wanted to have peace in his heart. So he had a desire to be saved. But having a desire to be saved is not enough. You have to put your trust in God. You have to do something about it. And so he had a faith in Jesus. He had a faith to be saved. It's, I think this is awesome. He had heard the stories of Jesus healing, opening the blinded eyes, unstopping the, 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 the deaf ears, causing the mute to speak, casting out demons, raising the dead. He heard all the stories. But when he got in the presence of the Lord, he saw this man as more than a rabbi or a prophet or a, a guy with a healing ministry. He saw him for who he really was. He said, this is more than a man. I, I can sense this. I can see it. This, this person, I don't understand it because I see flesh, but he's not like anybody else. This is the Son of God. He had to. He saw a Savior. He trusted that Jesus could change his life. So Jesus, being God, perceived that there are two things going on in this man, that there is a faith for healing of the paralysis, but there's also a faith in him to be saved, to get right with God. And so instead of dealing with his physical need first, Jesus dealt with his spiritual need. Let me teach you something that we good old-fashioned Americans need to get a hold of today. And they're about to put it on the screen. In God's economy, the spiritual transcends the material or the physical. In God's economy, the spiritual. Now, you say, well, why, do, Pastor, why are we good old-fashioned Americans? Because we're Americans. And we like our boats, and we like our cars, and we like our houses, and we like our jobs, and we like our paychecks, and we like our port financial portfolios and our investments, and we, our land. We like our stuff. Just watch television, all the commercials. They cater to the stuff, to the consumer in us. And we like our stuff, and we get wrapped up in stuff. But I'm telling you today, while there's nothing inherently wrong with stuff, as far as God's concerned, the, the spiritual is more important than your stuff. And if you want a revival and an awakening, you've got to get your eyes off of the stuff and the material world, and you've got to get your eyes on the spiritual things. And you've got to say, I'm going to be like God, and in my economy, I'm going to put the spiritual... Is that, yes, it's biblical, but seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first righteousness. And then you don't have to waste all your time running after all these things. He said, I'll just add it to you. The spiritual. John said, I pray that you may be in health and prosper. We like that verse. But you got to read the rest of it. Even as your soul prospers. Your spiritual comes first, and then those other things follow in the wake as you're walking after God. Follow the good shepherd, then surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'm preaching today. This ain't in my notes, but I'm preaching today. So the spiritual has to come first. 
Yes, God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Yes, God will give you every day your daily bread. Yes, God will protect you and feed you and clothe you and heal you and deliver you and bless you. But it is the spiritual thing that you need in your life that matters the most to him. So listen to me today. If you are sinful, if you are a very bad man, I love doing that. If you're not right with God, okay, just don't play games. You're not right with the Lord. Your greatest need is not a better job. Your greatest need right now is not more money. Your greatest need right now is not a wife, a husband, more education. Your greatest need right now is not another boat or a bigger car. Your greatest need right now is Jesus. And to get saved and to deal with the sin in your life. That's your greatest need. You are away from God. You are at odds with him. And you need to be saved. You need God to be your savior. You need God. See, because Jesus was the healer. Okay, he was going to heal the man. But Jesus said, you need me to be your savior. You need God to be your savior, your rescuer, your emancipator. So Jesus looks at this man, realizes, okay, this, this, this cat, he, he's, yeah, he can't move, but he's got faith to be saved. I love this. So Jesus says, I'm going to save him. Aren't you glad God wants to save people? He wants to save people. We just automatically think God saves people. Yeah, but he wants to save people. He's looking for people that he can save. And he found somebody who says, I'm tired of sin. I want to be saved. And so Jesus looks at him and says, son, cheer up. I know you're down. you got a lot of bad things going for you. I know that homeowner right there, he's ready to tear your head off because he's ripped a hole in his job. We're holding him back. You're going to have to pay for these damages. Right now, things aren't going too good for you. You can't move. Now, listen, but son, cheer up. Your sins are forgiven. Now, let me back up. I think that I have found the saddest words in the Bible spoken by God. Saddest words in the Bible spoken by God. They're found in John chapter 8. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, group of Jews. They do not believe in him. They're antagonistic toward him. They have rejected him. They, they're, they're asking him questions. They're taking pot shots at him and, and, uh, and trying to argue with him. They are, they are not putting their faith in him. And three times, three times in John 8, Jesus looks at this crowd. Listen to me. Saddest words you'll ever hear God say to you. And here's what he says. You will Die in your sins. That's a, those are the scariest, saddest words you will ever hear God say to you. If you die in your sins, you will be eternally separated from God. If you die in your sins, you're going to spend eternity in a place you're not supposed to be, a devil's hell. The, the hell was created for the devil and his angels. But because of sin, God can't let you in heaven. So there's only one other option. Place of punishment. If you die in your sins, you will never feel God or experience God again. Do you know there are some of you, you love coming to high praises. You're not right, okay? You're not right. But you love, because some of you are watching right now. You love watching us because you like the music. You like my preaching. It's sensational. You, you even feel a little something. You like it. You're not right with the Lord, but you I feel something. Yeah, you know what it is? You feel the Holy Spirit. You feel the presence of God. 
you're probably feeling conviction too, but you keep shrugging that off. But you like it when we get to shouting and singing those old songs and jumping up and down and singing the new stuff. And I'm up here preaching the anointing. You like the anointing. Let me tell you something. When you die in your sins, that's all gone. No more church services to you. No more Pentecostal services. No more feeling the Holy Ghost. Right now, you might even at least say, when I feel conviction, I feel God. But you won't ever feel conviction again because at that point, there's no need for it. ought to sober somebody up. If you die in your sin, it's over. Torment and pain. But I think I found the greatest words in the Bible spoken by God, and it's right here in our text. Your sins are forgiven. You can't hear God say anything better to you. When God forgives you, he pardons you. When God forgives you, he releases you from the guiltiness of every sin you have committed. When God forgives you, he looks at you and says, I know you have, you've committed a lot of bad things, but they're gone. I've thrown them into the sea of forgetfulness. I've washed them in my son's blood, and I'm letting them go. When Jesus spoke forgiveness to the paralytic, he saved him. It happened right then. The very bad man became a very good man. The best man you can be. Meanwhile, there's a couple nincompoops over here called scribes. Y'all know what a nincompoop is? Google it later. It's not good. Scribes, you know, they're supposed to know the Bible. You ever meet those people who they, they think they know the Bible better than you? They live like the devil, but they know the Bible better than you. And so these guys over here, very religious but very simple, these scribes, they hear Jesus say to the man, your sins are forgiven you. Greatest words you hear God say. Well, all they can see is a man. And they said, who does this guy think he is? This man just blasphemed. You don't say things and do things that only God can do. Who does he think he is? Only, only God can forgive sin. All right, now these, these two cats, they had one thing right and one thing wrong. Let me tell you what they had right. They're right. Only God can forgive your sins. Forgiveness is God's prerogative. You know, do you realize like every sin that you ever commit, even if you sin against me, it's still in a sin against God? Every sin you ever commit is a sin against God. It's an affront to God. But God is a forgiving God. Psalm 86.5, for you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive. He's ready. Abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. I love Psalm 103. It's one of my favorite psalms. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and don't forget his benefits. And what's the first one? Who forgives, not some, but all your iniquity. I'm glad he doesn't have a category that will leave me out. He just forgives them all. In 1 John 1, 9, a lot of you know this one. I'm glad it's in the Bible. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to what? To forgive us our sins. He's faithful to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God will forgive you of every sin you have committed. Every sin. You mean even the really bad ones? Yep. If you will just ask him for his forgiveness. Now, I want to preach this. I think there are some other things that need to be happening. I know it works this way in my house. If I do something against Leah... I have to not only say the right words, i got to have the right attitude. 
or it doesn't count. And all the men said, yeah. Amen, oh my. So the same thing is true. Why are you laughing, Patrick? You're just dating, but is Olivia that way? Uh-oh, Lord, let's don't get into that. I might break them up. So when you come to God, you can't just say, well, I'm sorry, God. You, you, you have to come sincerely. You have to mean it. And then I think, second, you have to come humbly. You don't go, you don't go in there like a banny rooster. I'm here, God. Sorry. I'll see you in heaven. We're laughing, but that, there's no humility in that, is there? I don't know about you, when I got saved, there were tears running down my face. When I got saved, I felt like an egg-sucking dog. How many of y'all know what an egg-sucking dog is? It's like a nincompoop. It ain't good. I felt horrible. I, I was crying. I was weeping. I, I was humble. I was sincere. I was desperate. When you come to God to ask forgiveness, you have to admit and acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness. You ever said, I'm sorry to somebody, but you didn't mean it? No, it doesn't work that way. You have to come saying, I messed up. I'm everything you say that I am, God, and more. I need your forgiveness. You have to have faith that he'll truly forgive you. That's why I got to preach that third sermon. Because we come to God and we do all these things, but then we get there, we'll say, God can't forgive me. God won't forgive me. I've been too bad. I don't think God would let my sins go. You're just not getting it. Yes, he will. I mean, all of it? Yes. Pastor, you don't know the things I've done, and I'm not telling you. I don't want to know, but he already knows. He already knows. It's not like you have to, when you, when you tell him and confess, it's not because you have to tell him. He's like, really? What? You did what? Oh, he said, yeah, I remember when you did that. Yeah, I know everything perfect. I know the end from the beginning. Yeah, I remember when you did that. I didn't like it. Yeah, I remember what you said. I re yeah, I, I remember how you did it. I, every, he knows it all. Well, that just makes it worse. You know everything. Yes, I know it all. I'm so sorry, God. It's okay. I forgive you. Just like that. It's okay. I forgive you. You forgive me? Lord? Yeah, I, just, I forgive you. I'm trying to preach to you today the power of God's forgiveness. Oh, you ought to be shouting right now. Somebody in this place ought to be saying, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Aren't you glad he's a forgiving God? <laughs> and you have to be repentant. Repentant means that you stop sinning. Okay, you don't, you don't say, I'm sorry, and then go do it again. And then go back and say, I'm sorry, in your mind thinking, mm, but I'm going to do it again. No, you repent. And if you'll just ask him and have these things, God will forgive you. They had one thing right. Only God can forgive sin, but they had one thing wrong. Jesus was not just a mere man blaspheming because he claimed to be God. Now, this is the preacher preaching, okay? You're an atheist. You're not going to believe this, but sorry. I'm not preaching to atheists today. He was God. I think he did enough things to prove it. You ever know anybody orchestrate their own resurrection? I haven't met anybody who's done that. He was God with the power to forgive sins. Listen. Preaching to the choir today, but if you're saved today, you owe everything to Jesus. You owe everything to Jesus. 
There is a verse I have been praying. I'm not going to preach it this way. I've been praying all week. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. Through Jesus, I've been redeemed by His blood. Through Jesus, I've been forgiven of every sin. God is righteous. Let me explain this to you. God is righteous. And sin offends God. It violates his righteousness. So his righteousness demands that anyone who sins, they have to die. That's why the Bible says the soul who sins shall surely die. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is, y'all know the end of it? Death, right. So that's so. how can God forgive you of your sins but still be just? Because you've offended him and the, and the penalty is death. Well, Hebrews 9.22 says, without shedding of blood, somebody has to die, there is no remission. That word means forgiveness. Somebody's got to die. The Old Testament, God let them kill lambs, but it was only temporary. But along comes the lamb with a capital L. The lamb of God who, watch this, who takes away the sin of the world. That's what forgiveness is. You take it away and get rid of it, and you don't dwell on it anymore. And so God sends Jesus, whose blood has to be shed. It took the blood of Jesus. It took his death. On the night that the Lord instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, he took the cup. He, he broke the bread, but then he took the cup. Listen to what he said. This is the blood of the covenant. It's obviously a symbolism here. This is the blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many. It's prophetic moments, the night before he's going to the cross. Prophetic moment, which is being poured out for many, for forgiveness of sin. Jesus said, I'm going to the cross tomorrow morning, and I'm going to die. My blood is going to flow, but because my blood will flow, people can be forgiven of every sin. He poured out his blood on the cross to die in your place and fulfill the righteous requirements of God. And listen, because he shed his blood for you, on that basis, God can forgive and will forgive you of all of your sins. I'll say it again. If you're saved today, you owe it all to Jesus. Come on, somebody praise him in this house. You owe it all to Jesus. <laughs> he died on the cross in your place. He shed his ruby red blood for your redemption. He took sin's penalty on himself as the currency for your redemption. He, he, he did what needed to be. Listen, the Father didn't forgive you because of your own goodness. The Father didn't forgive you because of your negotiating powers. The Father didn't forgive you because of your persuasiveness. The Father didn't forgive you because of your efforts at appeasing you. He forgave you because of Jesus. Well, in verse 5, Jesus asked the scribes a question after they're being critical of him. They, they said, for which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? And I'll be honest, and I'm a Bible scholar, this question stumped me for years. Years and years, I'd read this, and I said, I don't understand why Jesus is asking him this. And finally, it dawned on me, and I understood what was happening here. It's a trick question. It's a trick question. Which is easy? He's looking at men, humans. Which is easier to say? Son, your sins are forgiven you, or rise, walk? Which is easier to say? All right, it's a trick question. If you're a human being, neither. Because you can't forgive sins, and you can't make a person with paralysis walk again. So it's a trick question. But if you're God, both are easy to say. 
Both. I, if I'm God, I can say, yep, I forgive your sins, and yep, you're healed. It's a trick question. And he's trying to make the point is, you're not God, but I am. And they didn't believe him. So he said, okay, I just forgave this man his sins. You don't believe that. So I'm just going to show you that if God can both forgive and heal, let me show you that I'm God. So now, after meeting the man's physical, spiritual need, he, he meets his physical need, and he says to the man, sir, arise and walk. Dude's paralyzed. <laughs> he, can't, he can't walk. But immediately, nerve endings that are damaged and lifeless suddenly have life in them. And there's restoration. And he has feeling. You could, you could prick him with a needle. He couldn't feel anything. But if you pricked him that day, that moment, he'd go, ouch! And he'd jerk his leg up. He could, and I could see him laying, and he said, suddenly feeling is coming back in his legs. Tingling. Ooh, oh, oh, hey, guys, I feel something. What do you feel? I don't know. I'm feeling. Well, you're feeling. What do you mean feeling? You don't feel anything. I'm feeling something now. What is it? I feel like I can move my leg. Can you move it? And can you imagine? He's got his legs laid straight up. He bends his knee for the first time and pulls his knees up. When I had my meniscus surgery, I got a bucket tear. I had a surgery because I had a bucket tear, and the tear got in the joint. I couldn't straighten my leg. I had to have surgery. It's kind of like the doctor said, it's really like emergency. And they told me, the doctor told Leah that when I came out of that general anesthesia, I wasn't out yet, but when I came out of surgery, he said that, this is so funny, he said that when I came, I was coming to, he said I was in a recovery room going, Doc, look, I can straighten my leg. Look, Doc. <laughs> That's kind of what happened at that moment with that man. He said, look, I can bend my leg. Couldn't pull himself up. Couldn't do a pull-up. Was just sit, sit up. Couldn't do that. Can you imagine people are just starting to mumble and cheer? And, the, what, and he rolls over. Pushes himself up and stands up. I can stand. What else can I can I can walk. Look at me, I can walk. Oh, you don't. You got to know those four guys. Five, they're high-fiving. They're slapping each other in the back. They're hugging each other. Everybody's cheering in the house. Yeah. They're all screaming and yelling and cheering, and people are going, God is awesome. This was God. God is awesome. And Jesus is just grinning like crazy, like, this is so cool. I love doing this. Everybody's having excited. And, and the Lord said, you're good, bud. Going home. And he rolls up that cot, puts it up under his arm, says, come on, fellas, let's go. And he walks out. He came through the roof, but he walked out the door. That's the power of God. I came here this morning to tell you today Jesus has the power. He has the power to heal your body. He has the power to heal your broken marriage. He has the power to heal your broken heart. He has the power to heal broken relationships. He has the power to do something about your broken finances. But more than that, he has the power to heal your broken life, a life that is messed up and broken by sin. He has the power to forgive you of everything you've ever done and make you right with God. He's got the power. Come on, stand with me this morning.
I read a story. I will tell it real fast. 1939, USS Squalus, which was a Navy submarine, had been out to sea already like six or seven times, seven times. But the submarine went out, made another trip. Captain said, dive, and they went down. The main air induction valve didn't close. Seawater comes rushing in. They can't get it closed. Water is filling the submarine. They finally shut off the door. Many of them didn't drown. 33 men are in one section with the door shut. They, they did everything they could with the ballast. It was too much. They couldn't stop the water, and eventually the, too much water came in. And, that, and you can look this up. The USS Squalus went all the way 240 feet to the bottom of the ocean. They went into a full-blown rescue effort. I don't have time to tell all the details. I read the story last night. It's amazing. And this guy had invented a diving bell, a 10-ton diving bell. They had never used it before just for this, and now's the first time they're going to try to use it to see if they can rescue these men. They had to go down. A man had to go down in a suit, a diving suit, and go down and hook a cable to the railing near the hatch so that, the, so that it would guide the bell down, and they could get it on top of the hatch that in itself almost killed the guys at 240 feet. They, they had to have several efforts. Finally, they got it there, and they got the diving bell down, got it over top of the hatch, bolted it down, opened the door, and those men started coming out. Seven, eight, nine at a time. They'd raise it back up. They'd go back down, raise it up. Almost didn't get the last group, but they got them. The cable broke. And they had to go down and put another cable had to end up having to do it a different way, but they got those men, and they rescued. Went to the other hatch, and when they opened the hatch, it was full of black water, and the men didn't there didn't make it, and they just closed the hatch back up. They, had, they, they drowned. The reason I tell you that historical account is, is that I can tell you right now, and history will show this, not one man, when that diving bell came down, not one sailor refused to be rescued. Not one said, I like it here. I think I'll just stay where I am. Not one said, well, I'm going to wait till I get married and then, then you can rescue me. Not one said, well, let me think it over. Not one said, well, there, I've heard there are hypocrites up there on the rescue ship and I don't want to be around those hypocrites. Not one said, well, if I, if I get rescued, there's just too much to give up. Not one said, I'll wait for a convenient time. Not one said, well, I don't understand how the diving bell works, so I'm not getting in it. Not one said, I don't feel like getting rescued. Not one said, I think I'll wait until a later time. Every one of them got out of that place of death. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. And got in that bell and went up to the top and was grateful that somebody had delivered them from certain death. I came here today to tell you under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, if you're in sin or you're backslidden, it's time to stop making excuses. It's, it's time to stop putting off something because of whatever reason. You are in a place of death and you're going to die in your sins. I don't want you to die in your sins. I want you to hear Jesus say, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven you. You can be forgiven and delivered and set free today and your life will forever. Listen, God saved me and I'm glad he saved me. 
I'd much rather be saved than live in sin. I heard a man one time say, I thought all you Christian people were weird and all of us sinful people were normal. He said, then I got saved and realized you're the normal ones. We're the weirdos. Drinking all night and then puking in a toilet and talking to the toilet. That's normal? Shooting stuff in your veins, a foreign substance? That's normal? Lying to people you love, hurting people that matter the most to you? That's normal? No. That's messed up. But God wants to deliver you from your messed up life and save you and forgive you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Pastor Chris, you have preached to me. This has been a setup. I need to be saved. I want to be saved. Not just I'm letting you know I want to be saved. Throw your hand up right now. Anybody in this house, throw your hand up. Pastor, I want to see. I see a hand in the back. Come on, throw it up high. Throw it up high. I want to see your hand. Yes, sir, right in the front row. You can put your hand down. Anybody else? I want to be saved. Throw your hand up high. Throw your, I see you in the back. Yes, thank you. You can put your hand down. I see you. Thank you. Yes. Anybody else? Pastor Chris, I, it may be one, two, three, five, ten. I don't care. God gave me this today. Come on. Anybody else? Pastor Chris, I want to be saved. Throw your, do I have to do this? Yeah, I think this is part of that admitting. Just me and you and God looking. I want to be saved. Anybody else? I want to do this. Every head bowed. Nobody looking. Pastor Chris, I'm backslidden. I want you to raise your hand. Pastor Chris, I'm backslidden. Raise your hand. I, I used to serve God, but I'm not right with the Lord. Anybody? Come on, throw your hand up. Just be honest. Let's see how honest you can be today. Come on, anybody? I'm backslidden. I used to serve God. Come on, throw your hand up. Where are you? I know you're here. Maybe somebody at home. Somebody at home. I'm backslidden. I used to serve the Lord. Pastor, one of the reasons I'm not coming to church with you, reality is I'm not living right anymore. Come on, I'm talking to you. God had you watch this service today to hear me. You're not even living right anymore, but Jesus wants to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. He'll forgive you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to pray the sinner's prayer. We're going to pray the sinner's prayer right now. And if you're here today, you're, you're in sin, you're backslidden, you raised your hand. I want you to pray this prayer. I'm going to give, I will give you the words. You say the words, but I want you to pray with sincerity, humility, with faith, with a repentant heart. You, you have to trust God and lean on His grace. That's the only way you can be saved. So with every head bowed, come on, y'all. Let's help some folks get saved today. Come on, everybody say this. Dear Jesus. I'm a sinner. I admit it. I'm not right. I am a very bad person. And I'm sorry, God. I'm tired of it. I'm weary of it. I need to change. I can't do it on my own. I need you, Lord. And I know you died for me. You did shed your blood for me. You paid sin's price for me. Thank you for doing that for me. I believe. So right now, I ask you to forgive me. I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Please take my sins away. Come into my heart. Take up residence in me. Fill me with your spirit. Take the sin out. Jesus, come in. I give my life to you. And right now, I confess you that you are my Savior. I confess publicly that you are my Lord. You're my leader. And I'm going to live for you and I repent of my sins. I'm not gonna do them anymore. Come on, say it. I'm not gonna say them anymore. I'm not gonna think them anymore. I'm a changed person by the power of God. Come on, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Come on, I like to do this. Say, I'm saved. I'm saved.
I'm saved and I know that I am in Jesus name amen every head up every eye open church clap your hands because I'm gonna have faith in some folk Woo! I got, got the, I just believe God saved some people in this house thanks for listening be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.